Hey, Cracked fans. We are so excited to be welcoming our friends at Turna back to this show as a supporting sponsor moving forward. Now, of course, all of you tennis fans know Turna Tennis for their world-famous Turna grip, that iconic purple-colored grip you see on the rackets of so many different professional tennis players. But did you also know that they make the tackiest grip in the world? That's right, folks, the brand-new Turna Tennis Mega Tack Grip. It's the tackiest grip on the market. It starts tacky and, simply put, stays tacky longer than any other grip you'll find out there. And if you tell your opponent, what do I use on my racket? I use the Mega Tack. You're going to be attacking with that Mega Tack from start to finish. If you've seen anything we do at Cracked Rackets, you know I'm a hairy guy. As you can imagine, I sweat when I play. The only grip that works for me is the Turn of Tennis grip. Of course, the Mega Tack taking things to the next level. How can you get yourself hooked up with a Turn of Grip today? It's simple. You're going to either find it wherever you buy your tennis goods. Or you can email them directly by emailing sales at uniquesports.com. That's sales at uniquesports.com. You mentioned Crack Rackets sent you in the email. We would greatly appreciate that as they let you, them know that we sent you there. But more importantly, you get a free sample and they'll treat you as family moving forward. Again, you email sales at uniquesports.com. You mentioned Crack Rackets. You get the free sample. You get hooked up with our friends at Turner. Once you use a Turner Grip, you're never going to turn anywhere else. Of course, again, ask them about the mega tack the tackiest grip on the market contact sales at uniquesports.com and get started with our friends at turn to tennis today welcome to our GSP Match of the Day segment, a show where I talk about the match I'm watching most closely on any given day in the tennis world. Now, given the calendar we have in front of us on Saturday, July 9th, think our choice for this segment is pretty clear. We have ourselves a Grand Slam final at the year's third major as Own Jabour, the 27-year-old third seed, going to take on 23-year-old and 17th seeded Alain. Elena Rabakina, of course, on today's show. What I want to do for all of you listeners is break down that women's singles final from every angle. Offer the stats for each of Jabour and Rabakina heading into tomorrow's match. Offer the tactical advantages I see for each player. Of course, I want to talk about the lines being offered by our friends at DraftKings, where I see value on the DraftKings board on Saturday. And again, preview this women's singles final from every angle. Of course, there are a couple of other matches on the board tomorrow. You've got countless ITF events happening across the globe, including here in the United States as the SoCal Pro Circuit carries on. That series of six ITF events happening in the Southern California area. Of course, our Crack Rackets team has been so, so lucky to be able to cover all of the action that's unfolded to date, and our coverage continues here on Saturday. Semifinals of the men's and women's singles competitions, finals of the doubles. We'll have the singles finals for you all on Sunday as well. All of that action available for free on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. And given the time difference, the Wimbledon action going to be done by noon, 1, 2 p.m. Don't you want to watch more tennis on your Saturday to enjoy your weekend? You can do so with us here on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel as we enjoy the SoCal Pro Circuit. Of course, you get all sorts of players on this SoCal Pro Circuit, whether it be the former collegiate grades 
athletes like the August Holmgrens, Duarte Valles of the world, the rising stars like 14-year-old American Eva Jovic, who made her first pro final last week in Los Angeles. You get the Yai Young, talented 18-year-olds of the world, the Snow Hans of the world, Nate Ponwiths of the world. A lot of names that have floated around our Crack Rackets universe over the past couple of years, all of them competing in the pro action in the SoCal Pro Circuit. If you want to hear more about who's still alive, go check out today's mini break podcast episode. I talked about it in the intro before we broke down all things Wimbledon with my friend Gil Gross, a fantastic mini break episode if I do say so myself. So if you're interested in more SoCal Pro Circuit talk or more Wimbledon talk, what already has transpired, you want to hear extended thoughts from Gil on not only this women's singles final, but of course the men's singles action as well. Head on over to the mini break podcast feed or check out all of our content on our website, crackrackets.com. Of course, again, on today's match of the day segment, I'm going to go through each of Onjabur's and Elena Rabakina's stats. I'm going to talk about the tactical advantages I see for each of them, what they've done on their pathway to this Wimbledon final to secure their first Grand Slam finals, respectively. And then again, talk a little bit about the framework, the historic nature of what we're seeing on the WTA Tour. So many first-time champions continuing to emerge at the slams over the past five seasons. Is that an aberration or is that something we should expect to see more of as we move forward? Something I want to get into a bit here on today's show. But of course, the reason we're able to do all this day in, day out because of the support we get from all of you listeners. And of course, because of the support we get from our friends at Turner, you know about the Turner Grip. You may not know about their award-winning strings. You may not know about the countless other products they provide to help accentuate the finer features of your tennis game. The good news, you learn about it all by emailing them at sales at uniquesports.com. You mentioned we here at Cracked Rackets sent you. They're going to hook you up with free samples, with discounted pricing. They'll treat you like family to the point where you're going to be ready to join that Turna team. Again, you can learn more about all things Turna by emailing sales at uniquesports.com today. With all of that said, let's get into it. 2022 Wimbledon Women's Singles Final Own Jabour taking on Elena Rabakina. Of course, the big picture takeaway for me, six different finalists at this year's Grand Slams on the women's side. Six different finalists overall. Of course, at the Australian Open, you had Ashley Barty, Danielle Collins at the French Open, Iga Sviantec, Coco Gauff. Here, you have Own Jabour taking on Elena Rabakina. Yes, it's six different finalists, but I think all six players would be players we would consider tier one or tier two when you're looking at the big picture takeaways here, right? Certainly, Danielle Collins, Elena Rabakina, maybe more Coco Goff, even tier three, working their way at their best towards tier two. But when I say tier one, tier two, tier three, what do I mean by that? Well, a tier one player is a definitive contender for Grand Slam titles. Obviously, given the world number one this season didn't lose until Wimbledon, both Ashley Barty, Iga Sviantek, how good they were compared to the field this season at various points of the calendar, they would be the only definitive Tier 1 players we've seen on the WTA Tour this season. Tier 2 gets a little bit bigger, right? Certainly Own Jabour, who's been exceptional since the start of 2021, 111 and 39 overall since the start of 2020, excuse me, has 
made second week or further in three of her last five slams. She's a definitive tier two player. You get someone like Krachikova, who was so consistent last season. Conteve at the end of last year. Maria Sakaria of the world, who's competing for semifinals, but will still have the old bad loss mixed in as well. That's a tier two player. The players who are going to be in the mix, round of 16's quarterfinals, but given a shortcoming, whether it be with their game styles or some sort of glaring lack of success in their results, lack of pedigree a la Coco Goff, who may eventually be a tier one player, but isn't quite there yet. You know, those are the players that navigate tier two. And I think we've seen so many different players stuck in that tier two over the past five years, whether it be another player like Arena Sabalenka, who was probably the epitomization of Tier 2 last season and, you know, ultimately was able to make some deep runs at the slams. Of course, a Karolina Pliskova, you feel like, has perennially floated in that Tier 2 of these categories. Um, I mean, again, you look at the Grand Slams, obviously Iga, Barty have won two Grand— and Osaka, I should say, have each won multiple Grand Slams in the past four years— that's why my argument getting into this, I actually think the fact that we have six different finalists here in the 2022 season, you know, I think that's actually a sign that things are steadying on the WTA Tour. And what do I mean by that? Well, certainly you look at the players who reached the semifinals or the final stages of these Grand Slams over the past couple of seasons. It is consistently now Iga Sviantek, who made, of course, round four of every major last season. You had, you know, On Jabour making a couple of round of 16 runs. You have players like Collins and the Rabakinas of the world making those round of 16 runs as well. There's a plethora of tier two talents. And they're finally starting to delineate themselves on this pro tour. Again, Iga has made that elevation from tier two to tier one. You see Onjabur now firmly lifting herself to the top of that tier two conversation where she will always seemingly be in the mix at these big events. You know, again, since really 2018-19, when you had Osaka work her way onto the scene, you know, so so definitively. You had the run in 2019 that was Bianca Andrescu. You had the Kennan sensation at the start and throughout 2020, Sviantek and Krejcikova emerging. Radicanu obviously last year at the U.S. Open. There have been a lot of surprise runs. But when you look again at the six finalists this season, Barty, Collins, Sviantek, Goff, Jabour, Rabakina, they were all players who were on the radar. They're all tier two, at worst, tier three caliber talents. And they're all players I think we expected these sorts of runs from at some point in their careers. So to see it manifest itself here in 2022, I don't know if I did the best job of explaining myself there. And this is a topic I will continue to elaborate on once we're done with this slam and we have the time to go look at some historical perspective in depth. I just think this, you know, again, looking at this final, it feels pretty steady. Right, like Own Jabour was a definitive. She, you know, she won a title the second week of the grass court season this year. She's now won what five plus six, eleven consecutive matches on grass courts. Worthy is a stupid word, but she's a finalist that makes sense, I think, to all of us. And certainly, given how the draw has broken, that she's only had to face one seed on her pathway to the final. I don't think this is an unexpected result. Similarly, I've been joking around about Elena Rabakina as a member of Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club since. 
Power Tennis Country Club came to existence in 2020. And certainly at the start of 2020, Rabakina was on fire, you know, as she ultimately goes out of her, you know, on her way to make the finals in Shenzhen, win the title in Hobart, a loss to Barty in the third round of Australia, then, you know, run to the final in St. Petersburg, final in Dubai, four finals in her first five events of the 2020 season. She did all of that, you know, at the age of 20 years old. And, you know, for her, Elena Rabakina, who didn't have the most pedigree as a junior, certainly had some success reaching world number three, reached a couple of junior slam semifinals, but wasn't the definitive world junior number one, wasn't that one of those sure thing prospects, but she's always had elite power. And she always has had this sort of upside. And when you look for Elena Rabakina now, you know, overall since the start of the 2020 season, she's 89 and 45, has been solidly in the top 25 during that stretch of time, you know, for two plus years now and reached a uh, career high ranking of number 12 in earlier this season, would be at a new career high ranking, certainly with this run to the final, if points were being allotted at this 2022 Wimbledon. Of course, again, on the flip side, Jabour, since the start of 2020, again, 111 and 39. She's won 74% of her matches. She's the number two player in the world, number two player in the points race, even without these Wimbledon points being added to her resume. It just makes sense. Things are starting to make sense. And yeah, the pathway there, you're going to get a Tatiana Maria thrown in, certainly, and you're going to get your, you know, Tamara Zadanzik sort of runs. I mean, again, we're four slams removed from Emma Raducanu coming seemingly out of nowhere to win the 2021 U.S. Open title. But I think we're starting to know who the players who have a bite at the apple are, at least in terms of the big picture, the tier one, tier two players, the eight to 10 players who we're going to see competing at each and every event. I think we can identify those players now. Now, only Iga resides in tier number one. But with the rise of Jabour, not only this season, you know, where she's 36 and 9 overall and, you know, wins the big title in Madrid, finals in uh, in Rome, and obviously the title in Berlin as well. I just think we see big picture things finally settling down on the WTA Tour. But with that said, look, we're going to have a first-time finalist crowned at the 2022 Wimbledon. And certainly both of these players have played exceptional tennis on their pathways to this final. And, you know, with that said, I alluded to some of the numbers there, but let's get into it when we look at Own Jabour, just how good she has been, not only this past season, but over this three-year run for her into the top 10, top five of the WTA rankings. She's 36 and nine this season. You look for her in terms of against top 20 players. Jabour 6-5 overall wins over Sakari Pagula, Goff, and Bencic twice. Uh, two wins over Jessica Pagula, I should mention, who is probably either the gatekeeper for Tier 2 or the best player in Tier number 3. But again, you look for Own Jabour. She's beating who she's supposed to beat. 30-4 and four against players ranked outside the top 20 this season. Two of those losses to Simona Halep and Belinda Bencic, who I think many of us would argue haven't just been top 20, but probably top 10 players on the season. So I would say 30 and two overall against players outside the top 20, just played two stinkers, Magda Lynette, Daria Gavrilova, Indian Wells, Roland Garros, where, you know, she still loses those match in three sets. And then, you know, again, she's competitive against top 20 players. Now she's one and four against the top 10 this season, but again, Own Jabour, 
you know, drops two sets on her way to this final, able, despite not playing her best tennis, to survive, which is what a top seed has to do, find ways to win when they're not at their best. She's able to do that against Tatiana Maria and Marie Buzkova. Again, you look for Onjabur, 111 and 39 since the start of 2020. That's a 70, what, 74 percent win percentage. You look for her at the slams during this stretch of time. She's 26 and 8 overall. I mentioned it. Fourth uh, round or further in three of her last five slams, back-to-back quarterfinals or further here at Wimbledon, and that makes sense. Own Jabour now for her career, 52-15 and 15 on grass courts. That obviously includes the Berlin title this season, the Birmingham title last season, a successful title at the Manchester 100K back in 2018, and you can understand why her game works on this surface. The creativity, her ability to spread the court, whether it be with the short angles, the slices, the drop shots, the ability to take the ball early on the rise, her prowess as a returner on this surface, of course, she has her serve magnified as well. And look, since 2020, Onjabur is one of just six players to rank top 20, uh, excuse me, yeah, top 20 in both hold and break percentage for a three-year period of time. One of six players. She's been in the mix. You look for her since the start of the 2020 season, Own Jabour, 19 and 17 against top 20 players during this stretch of time. Seven and 11 versus the top 10 as well. Look, I, barely anyone can have an over 500 record against the top 10. But if you're 7-11 and 11 and playing them essentially even and you're playing the top 20 even, you prove you belong in the elite conversation on the WTA Tour. Own Shabur has proven that. And again, against Marie Buzkova, she came out impatient in the first set. She was drop shotting in shots three, four of the rally, just not opening up the space she needed, not respecting the speed of Marie Buzkova, who moves as well on any surface as any player in the women's game and was just able to punish all of those hanging drop shots, all of those slices, turn defense into offense. But then Jabour settled down and began extending rallies, finding the outer thirds of the court, waiting four, five topspin or flat backhands before incorporating the drop shots, the short angles, getting into her bag of tricks. You know, she was able to steady the course and then separate herself pretty definitively, 6-1, 6-1 in sets two and three. I mean, look, Tatiana Maria got into her bag of tricks in set number two, but Onjabur played poorly throughout the course of that semifinal match, was under 50% on her first serve throughout the course of the match. And look, I mean, again, in that second set, Maria started throwing slice after slice after slice uh, into uh, at own Jabour, just giving her no pace to work with. And Jabour got impatient. She started slapping down the line a bit, generating unforced errors. And, you know, again, trying to generate drop shots off of balls and in positions of the court where it just was not feasible. But then in the third set, own Jabour said, wait, Tatiana Maria can't hurt me. You know, she doesn't have a weapon to overwhelm me with. I do everything better than Tatiana Maria on this tennis court. I, I acknowledge that. And she ripped off a 5 love lead by showing discipline, showing patience. And, I mean, look, for Own Jabour, it's her first Grand Slam final. But certainly, again, has put herself in a position this season, 35-9 and nine overall, the win in Madrid, the final in Rome, the, you know, final in Charleston and title in Berlin. She belongs 
in this stage of a tournament. But certainly you look for her draw, straight set wins over Bjorklund, Kawa, Perry, Mertens before the three set wins over Buzkova and Maria. She's yet to face a top 20 player. And technically she's not going to get that given Elena Rabakna currently ranked outside the top 20. But certainly she faces her first player who possesses a weapon bigger than anything Own Jabour possesses on court in Elena Rabakina. And of course, the biggest weapon on the court going into tomorrow's match is the Elena Rabakina serve. Elena Rabakina has been exceptional on serve throughout the course of this 2022 Wimbledon. You look for Rabakina, who, you know, thus far in the tournament has dropped just one set in her six matches, you know, she's also, I believe, been broken just seven times in those six matches as well. Just has been so definitive behind her serve. And you watched Rabakina hit, you know, four aces when 70% of her first serve points make 71% of her first serves against arguably the best returner on the WTA Tour in the past decade in Simona Halep. And just that front foot tennis Rabakina was able to play it dominated Simona Halep. You look at the stats from that match. Again, Rabakina won, you know, 73% of her first serve points. She was dominant. 22 winners against 16 unforced errors. She generated nine break points for herself. You know, Halep only had the one break point, which she converted to level the scoreboard at two all in the second set. But Rabakina immediately got that break back for 3-2. She's just been a front runner in every match that she's played so far this tournament. And even after losing that first set to Tomjanovic in the quarterfinals, you know, Rabakina quickly identified, wait, Tomjanovic can't handle my pace on her forehand wing. And if I can just continue to dictate to that side, break Tomjanovic down, eventually I'm going to have my opportunities. I'm going to have my opportunity, uh, my moment to attack and, you know, dominate this match on my terms. And again, for Elena Rabakina, 27 and 12 now here in 2022. She's really, you know, again, there are a couple of bad losses certainly on her resume, but has really gotten the job done at the big events, whether it's, you know, again, Australia, tough loss to her, but had to retire with injury against Jung Shui. So you throw that one out. But, you know, quarterfinals, Indian Wells loses to Sakari. Round of 32, Miami, but she loses to Jess Pagula. I don't think there's any shame in that loss. Round of 16, Madrid. Round of 16, Rome. Round of 32, 7-6 in the third loss to Madison Keys at Roland Garros. She shows up. For the big events, she's done that over the past two seasons. Again, 89 and 45 overall over the past two years. You look for her at the Grand Slam since the start of the 2020 season. Elena Rabakina, 23 and 9 overall at the at the slams during these last three years. She's made the th- second week or further in three of the last six back-to-back round of 16 appearances for her at Wimbledon. Again, just able to play such definitive front foot tennis. And with her weapons, her serve, fourth highest hold percentage amongst top 50 players on the WTA Tour, again, she can play the sort of Serena Williams power tennis where regardless of what her opponent is doing, Rabakina is just able to play on her terms throughout the course of the match. And there's just not a lot of moving parts to the power tennis Rabakina is able to play. It's kind of consistent in its relentless, powerful nature. I mean, again, condensed backhand, her ability to pull that down ball down the line is special. Not a lot of moving parts, not a big backswing on the forehand, can play it a little bit close to the body at times, but when she extends into it, she approaches well behind it, she's comfortable and uses her frame well at the net. 
I mean, again, she's just able to play on her front foot, a skill set that is maximized, of course, on this surface where Rabakina is 21-7 and overall in her career. And, of course, this is her first final on a grass court, but had made semifinals in Eastbourne, in the Netherlands, had round of 16 at Wimbledon last season. It's not a shock to see Elena Rabakina have this sort of success on this surface. And look, as we look at tomorrow's matchup, these two have faced one another before. Both matchups have been tightly contested. Now, Jabour's technically 2-1 and one overall against Elena Rabakina, but we're throwing out the match from Chicago at the end of last year where Rabakina had to retire with injury. Jabour, a three-set win over Rabakina in Dubai last season. Rabakina, a three-set victory over Jabour in Wuhan back in 2019. What happened in Wuhan after that tournament in September of 2019? Anything notable for us to discuss on this show? Nevertheless, look, again, who has the biggest weapons going into the match? It's Elena Rabakina. Her hold percentage here this season, 76.5%. That's better than Own Jabour, who right now is at 71.9%. Of course, Own Jabour's 41.8 break percentage, clearly 10% better than where Elena Rabakina is at. But of course, we're on a surface that maximizes the serve and, you know, provides the greatest opportunity for the server. And simply put, Elena Rabakina has been elite on serve throughout this 2022 Wimbledon, whether it's protecting it with her plus one forehand, plus one backhand, just how well she's spreading the court with her serve, the slice out wide on the deuce side, magical. She's going to have opportunities if she's landing the first serve against anyone, even a returner, a top 10 returner, the quality of Own Shabur in this match. And I do think for Own Jabur, who likes to block back the service return, likes to play the block return, what do I mean by that? The slice grips on the forehand or backhand wing as opposed to swinging through that ball with topspin. If she's able to keep that ball low, that's an interesting play and an interesting ripple to get the ball outside of the Lilena Rabakina strike zone, to make her bend over or be stretched or just play uncomfortable shots. That is, of course, something Own Jabur is going to have to do to find success in this match is break the rhythm of Rabakina. But the question I have and a question we pondered yesterday with David Gertler, who if you want to hear an extended preview of this match, you really should go check out our mini break podcast from Thursday with David. You know, the question is, is the power tennis Rabakina is able to play too powerful for Own Jabur to get into her bag of tricks? It's easy to hit the slice. And easy is the wrong word. It's easier to hit the slices, the drop shots, the short angles when the ball's coming at you three quarters pace, 75 miles per hour, and not the 90 to 100 mile per hour line drives that Rabakina is throwing at you. And, you know, if you miss time a slice, now you're providing a floater. And the last thing you want to do is to provide Rabakina even easier chances for her to attack. Attack. Look, that's a risk uh, Own Jabour is going to have to face in this match. That said, you look for Own Jabour in her career uh, here, in particular the last 52 weeks. She's 15 and 6 against opponents ranked, uh, opponents who are 5'10 or taller, which Elena Rabakina is. And why is that stat relevant? By the way, 78 and 43 for her career, because typically if you're 5'10 or, t- or taller, you play the sort of power tennis that Rabakina is going to play in these matches. And you know, again, you look for Own Jabur, got a win over Kvitova earlier this season, wins over Mukova and Anisa Mova earlier this season as well. Her variety, the slices, the angles, again, can throw off the rhythm of a power player as well as anyone. Of course, it helps that Own Jabur has a weapon of a first serve to be able to still get into her bag of tricks and play plus one behind and disrupt the flow of her opponents with. 
The question is, is Rabakana serving too well for that to matter? Is it doesn't matter for Jabour that she can break Rabakana's rhythm when Rabakana is returning? What happens on the return of serve? How is Own Jabour going to gain traction as a returner in this match? We saw her struggle at times with the Tatiana Maria serve. Certainly Maria's a good server, but Rabakana, another caliber of server altogether. I mean, again, does Rabakana manage to punish the Jabour slices, or does Jabour manage to get enough sting, enough bite on those balls? She's, you know, aggressive enough with her court positioning that those shots remain effective, and she is able to get Rabakana stretched and not allowing Rabakana to just swing cleanly on the court, regardless of what her position is. I mean, that is the key to this matchup. And as of right now, both DraftKings and Tennis Abstract favoring own Jabour. Jabour is 76.2% favorite according to the Tennis Abstract singles forecast, minus 150 according to our friends at DraftKings. If you're asking me the bets I like, the props, over 20 and a half games, minus 150. It just has to be 6-4, 6-4 or closer or go to a third set. I think both of those things are likely to happen. You know, as such, I'd stay away from the game spread. But certainly when you look at the total sets uh, in the match, you want to take over two and a half sets at plus 135. I don't hate that bet in this match. I think if you think either player is going to win in three sets, you bet them both. Own Jabour to win in three sets is plus 330. Rabakana to win in three sets, plus 400. As long as one of them wins in three sets, you're covering your bet no matter what. You know, again, in terms of individual props, Rabakana over four and a half aces, minus 125. If you think she's going to win, you should take that bet. You know, Rabakana more than one and a half aces, more than Own Jabour. Again, if you think she's going to win, you should take that bet. If you think the match is going to go the distance over eight and a half aces in the match, plus 105, I kind of like that prop as well. But in terms of a prediction, I've thought long and hard about this one, and I've prayed to the tennis gods. And I know I have long been a proponent of the game style of Elena Rabakina. And I think, see, even in the moment, I'm waffling. I think I'm going to stick with the power tennis of Rabakina. Now, again, there are going to be nerves for both of these players. First Grand Slam final for each of them, certainly in terms of the 1,000-level action, the World Tour final action. Jabour has played on this stage more frequently than Rabakina. But there's a stoicness to the way Rabakina operates throughout the course of the match, how focused she is on executing her game plan and how that a game plan, the power tennis she's able to play, allows her to focus on just herself and provides her with a sense of if I play my best tennis, doesn't really matter what anyone else is doing out here. You know, again, <sighs> Jabour... The thing is, Jabour is strong, and Jabour is going to be able to absorb some of those first strikes. She anticipates so well that she's going to be able to track those ball down. And then again, with how low she keeps the ball, the angles she plays, it's just not going to be as easy picking for Rabakina, who, while she was able to great break down, arguably, again, the greatest defender of the past decade in Simona Halep, Halep was swinging through the ball. Halep was playing topspin from the baseline, and that topspin kept the ball in Rabakina's strike zone, where, again, she was just swinging freely. And Here's the other thing, though. My argument has always been, and this is a stupid thing, but I had a coach who told me this back in the day. I always found this true for my own tournaments. Peak in the semifinals, coast off of that in the finals. If you play your best tennis in the semifinals, you just are so confident going into the final because you say, well, I just did that. 
I feel my best. I know I'm at my best. And now I have put myself in a position. I always say the semifinals the hardest match because all you can think about in the semifinals, oh my God, I got a shot to make the final. Once you make the final, you're in a final. And you know, again, all you can focus on in a final is playing your best because that's all there's left to do. You got one match left on the calendar. I think it's notable Jabour did not play her best in the semifinals. And while there's a lot of room for improvement, I think Rabakina did. And even if she's only at 90% of that level, she was untouchable against Simona Halep at times. And I just think Rabakina's power tennis is going to win out in this match. So give me Elena Rabakina, the 23-year-old, to capture her first Grand Slam title. I'll say it takes three sets. We'll go a little 6-3, 4-6. 6-2 action? No, 6-3-4-6-7-5. I know that's a drastic change. No, because if it gets to bone... Yeah, 6-3-4-6-7-5. Uh, we'll keep it extraordinarily close. I think this match is going to get fun. Again, I think Shabur has the variety to break the rhythm of Rabakina, but I just think with how solid Rabakina is off of both wings, that backhand wing in particular, and... You know, again, I just think she's going to have opportunities to tee off on the return of serve in ways own Jabour will not. And I just, I can see, you know, again, I think an own Jabour win requires the Rabakina serve to be a bit off. I think if Rabakina plays her best tennis, she will win this match. And, you know, again, while I don't think it's going to be her best tennis, I think she coasts off of that semifinal performance and carries that level into this. I'll take Rabakina in three tight sets, but. Boy, am I excited for this match. And, of course, we will have coverage of the match after it completes tomorrow on the Mini Break podcast feed. We will be back here on this Great Shot podcast feed one more time as well to preview the 2022 Wimbledon Men's Singles Final. Of course, I already did just that, though, over on the Mini Break podcast feed with my friend Gil Gross. So if you want to hear that content in advance, you can hop over there right now as well. Of course, a shout-out, as always, to super producer Daniel Westoff for the f*** of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. A shout out as well to our friends at Turner. Remember, email sales at uniquesports.com to join the Turner family today. With all of that said, for our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Turner, and from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. We hope you all enjoy the Wimbledon Women's Singles Final. And as always, may the odds be ever in your favor. Good luck, everyone. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. 